0: Welcome to The Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. James K.A. Smith is a professor of philosophy at Calvin College in Michigan and the author of many books, including Desiring the Kingdom... You Are What You Love, and most recently, On the Road with St. Augustine. His work on St. Augustine has been exceedingly helpful to me, both as a writer and as a human being, as you will hear in this conversation. Jamie Smith, uh, thank you so much for being on The Habit Podcast. I really appreciate you making time for us.
1: Oh, it's great to talk to you.
0: You know, uh, Augustine has been such an important uh, part of my sort of inner world for, for years, and really your work on Saint Augustine has been uh, uh, very important for me. It really, giving me the the a way in to to make sense. So so thank you for the work you've done in uh, imagining the kingdom and uh, or I guess to say desiring the kingdom. That whole series and and you are what you love and and now uh, on the road with Saint Augustine, which I which I have been reading. I just I love it. I think it's going to be a, a really important book.
1: Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, I feel like. Um... I've been sort of writing this book for 20 years because uh, Augustine's been with me the whole way, so yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um,
0: yeah, th- I mean, just his idea of, you know, the, the ordered and disordered and reordered loves, um, I, I just think it's so helpful for thinking about all of human experience, For and it, and it certainly has been a, a big part of the way I think about writing and the way I teach writing.
1: Mmm, fascinating.
0: You know, because every every creative writing teacher who's ever lived, I think, you know, has has said, what do your characters want? You know, I mean, the, yeah. you, you understand your character. I mean, and, and or you might say your character is his wants, mm. which, by the way, that's what my character is, too, as a person. <laughs> <You> know, it's, <laughs> it's what I want. And, and I, I make choices based on what I want. And, and then, you know, there are consequences. And then maybe my Desires change, you know, the, the just I think it's just so helpful in so many ways. It, you know, for 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 writers to, to think
1: about. These things. I love I love this connection you're making because yeah, and it, and it also explains then why writing um, is such a science of the soul, as it were. I mean, it's it's the art that is the science of the soul, and why why it's why um, a novel. Can tell me more about myself and can tell us more about humanity uh, than you know a newspaper article because in a way the best literature is getting at people's hungers desires and and is is getting at the is trying to honor the complexity of that mm-hmm. and and I think Augustine um, it's interesting in fact I'm talking to a friend who teaches at the University of Iowa Writers' Workshop Garth Greenwell and uh-huh. when he teaches writing. He teaches Augustine's Confessions, um, and not just for memoir, but for um, uh, a, a kind of writing that is attentive to the dynamics of desire, the way in which our loves are sort of the engine that drive our being in the world and yeah. i th- i think you're right that augustine is in that sense um i think one of the reasons why augustine is still with us is because he was so prescient in that regard mm. and so it's at once very very intimate you know you can peer into a soul and yet it also helps you to understand others um yeah yeah. yeah. so it's yeah no I, i'm encouraged to hear that that's Helpful in teaching writing too. That's very cool.
0: Yeah, uh, maybe we should back up. I mean, I, I've kind of launched in as if everybody listening knows what we're talking about as far as ordered and disordered loves. And sure, could you could you sort of uh, give us a quick summary?
1: Yeah. So I, I think probably the the um, aspect of Augustine that most captivated me, and I, I'm trained as a philosopher, so that that slightly skews maybe the way I came to Augustine. But what struck me was first and foremost that. He, he looks at who we are as human beings, and he sees the seat and center of the human person is located in the heart, which, by which he doesn't mean just this mushy emotionalism. He just means that's the, the, the engine room of our loves. And so what really defines me, and what motivates me, and moves me, and what kind of governs my, my being is what I love. Mm-hmm. But... Um, So everybody, to to be human is to love. You can't not love. That first paragraph in the Confessions where he says, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So every creature, by virtue of being made in God's image, is longing for something, is looking for something, is chasing after something, and that's really on the register of love. But then Augustine says, that doesn't mean that we all love the same things, nor does it mean that we love what we ought right there's there's a kind of design claim here that humanity is made to love and it's ultimately made to love the one who made them to love god who who welcomes them the the effect of sin and brokenness and and tragedy in our lives is not that we stop loving something it's that we now our love gets disordered it gets misdirected it's it's aimed the aim is crooked and bent and now we're chasing created things instead of the creator hoping those created things could satisfy an infinite hunger so now now we're looking for love in all the wrong places we're 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 chasing after uh, facets of the creation, glomming onto them, grasping them as if they could be everything to us. Uh, and when we do that, they sort of slip through our fingers. They become nothing, and we're still hungry. So that's our. Our we can't not love, but our loves can be disordered. Yeah, and really, redemp- redemption is uh, um, finding the right target for our loves. You know, yeah. r- r- remembering what we were, who we were made for. Yeah,
0: and it seems like every story you read is that story. Right, it's it's people yes. getting into one one kind of trouble or another because of some disordered love, and sometimes, usually, it's their own. Sometimes it's somebody else's that, that causes heartache for them, and then in the end, that resolution is um, some sort of uh, uh, correction, um, yes, of, yes, of their loves.
1: and it's a correction on the yeah right. It's a correction uh or it's a restoration it's a healing on the order of their loves and it's not just you know what they believe about the world or what they think about the world right it's it's yeah. it's, it's 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 cooking along under the radar of all those kinds of things in some ways
0: wait could you say that again you said it's it's not that they <clears throat> what did you just say that they don't do
1: so it's not mm. it, it, what what happens is i think the dynamic is it's not always a matter of how I'm thinking about the world or what I believe about the world. That's really the source of my problem. You know, I, I might say, you know, you, you could have a character and it looks like, oh, well, their problem is they believe the wrong thing or uh-huh. they have the wrong ideas. But in fact, uh, usually that's just a symptom and a manifestation that they want the wrong things. And they uh-huh. uh, uh, and so a resolution for a character is not always like figuring something out. It's, it's actually sort of finding what they were made for and and finding the end of their loves in that regard. I mean interestingly I think that's exactly the trajectory of Augustine's own story in the Confessions is that in, in a way it looks for a long time like his problem is this intellectual puzzle he has to solve how should I think about God and what's the truth but what's interesting is by the time you get to book 7 of the Confessions in a way he has resolved all those intellectual problems he knows he actually sort of knows what the truth is, but he would still admit he's not who he's supposed to be. He, he still is, is characterized by anxiety and fragmentation, and it's not until he actually gives himself over on the order of his loves that he really finds kind of wholeness and resolution uh, yeah. uh, for himself, and I think that's important.
0: Yeah, and even that prayer, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet, <laughs> is, <laughs> yes, yes. is I, I know in my head what I need to be, but my heart's not there yet.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and he knew, uh, I, I think, th- and this is the difference between different kinds of stories, too. I think the heart of what would be an Augustinian story is... Um, the heart i need is itself always going to be a gift it's going to be like what tolkien called you know the you catastrophe it's going to be something that's that's given to me and and if there's an act i need to undertake it's an act of surrender it's Mm -hmm. an act of opening myself up of of receiving which of course is a deep offense to my pride yeah uh, who wants to be able to say i figured it out i achieved it i accomplished it
0: yeah 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 that's that's great um as as you, uh, the 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 this these longings send us on journeys, right? I mean, the the yes, the central yes. metaphor of, of your of your latest book is it's on the road with Saint Augustine. It, it's this this um, moving through time and space in search of. Uh, something, and and not just through time and space. It's also a, a mental, a mental sure. journey, um, and I'm sure you've heard the uh, the uh, the old saying: there are only two kinds of stories: a, a stranger comes to town, or a person takes a trip. And, and I, I have not
1: heard that. That's good. <laughs> That's
0: really good. And and I, I I thought about that as I was reading through your book on the road with Saint Augustine. That that yes, this is why. This is why that, that's where that saying comes from. Yeah, yeah. we're we're on mm-hmm. journeys because we don't know because we, well, because we're because there's a there's space between where we are and, and what we want and, and, and
2: yes,
1: yes. So there's there's a sense in which to say that human beings are lovers first and foremost, right? That we want, that we long. Um, almost built into that is a picture of there is an out there. that I'm after and that I'm so, so humans who are lovers are also chasers. And, uh, so it's almost by the very nature, it propels you, um, elsewhere. And, um, so I think that's part of it. I I also think, I mean, I think it's a really interesting question because there's something about the journey to which dislocates me and, uh, um, Maybe that's also what happens when the stranger comes to me. There, right. There's a kind of dislocation where now I have to confront something about myself. Like in the journey, maybe the comforts of home drop away, and now I have to see something in myself. Or I'm encountering others who are a mirror for me that I never had at home. And I, I think that explains the why pilgrimage is so crucial to the spiritual life in a way
0: uh-huh yeah that 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 disorientation that that um I mean this is where story comes from yeah um, right, right, and right. um I think I've said this in this podcast before, you know it, Florida is such a rich source of story because people are always running into each other who don't normally run uh, into each other uh, um well, and also the natural you know they they find themselves in the swamp and and you know the swamp itself is a place where. You know the water meets the land, and this kind of animal meets and this kind of you know it's it's. Uh, yes, I, I've got a Florida. Yeah. I've got a Florida thing, but but the um no, that's good. It's good.
2: <laughs>
1: this is a Lauren Groff uh, trajectory too. That's right. yeah, I haven't yeah. I haven't thought of it that way. I oh, mean, for what... Augustine too, I think. um And and not just for Augustine, but I think Augustine gets this. Uh, I think he he thinks this is part of the human condition that we are in a way all looking for another country. We, mm-hmm. we are all exiles. We are all um, strangers in the land. Uh, now, that's partly because we made ourselves strangers, but he, yeah. he thinks there's to, uh, I don't mean to trot out big theological world words, but he, he thinks there's this eschatological aspect, uh, that, that everybody is is looking for this kingdom to come. Some, some version of that. And so because we are all oriented to some end like that we're looking for another country like abraham um yeah. everybody's on this track and and the situation of exile um also names something about the human condition and then the question is can you be an exile who also knows where home is and and i think there's a lot of rich possibilities for narrative art in between those two things
0: yeah yeah yeah, you used the term "out there" a little while ago, um, mm-hmm. and and I think that's you. Know, one thing that's that's distinctive, we we're used to the idea of pursuing our desires to pers- you know to to you know every Disney uh, movie starts with the "I want" song, right? You know, the, mm-hmm. you know I want this, mm-hmm. and then you spend the movie yes. going through- and uh, an insight that I've run run into. Throughout your work, and some of this is from from uh, Charles Williams, and some of it's from Augustine, and but the idea that that we don't get to we don't get to invent what's going to make us happy. We don't get to we don't get get mm. to invent. I mean, t- speaking of theological mm. words, we don't get to invent our own telos. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, and so the idea of something out there, something that's not. I don't look inside to know what I need, who I am, but rather I look. To something beyond me, um, I think that's a really important insight for a writer. Not, I mean, not not just for characters in a story, but but for a writer to realize my work is not just a map of my inner world, um, but rather yeah. I am I'm giving an account of what I've seen in the world, a world that I didn't make.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wonder if that helps explain, though, too, why. Maybe so many contemporary stories don't have this purchase on us because I, I do think we live in a cultural moment where people do imagine they can make up their own telos, right? Sure. Like they imagine oh, yeah. they they can make up their own good, and then that makes for a terrible story uh, because the world just sort of bends to your will, and you try to. Uh, um, I mean, it's yeah. it's just fantasy in the worst sense of the word, right? Like it's it, and, and it's not true. Wow. Whereas. Yeah, for Augustine and for, for the kinds of stories, I, I think for the human condition, um, it's actually about how do I find the way I fit into a world I didn't make? How do I find a way to fit and make sense of myself into a world that's given? That's yes. Given in the sense that I've run into it, uh, it, but also given in the sense that it's gifted. It's it's uh-huh. created. It's, it's, it's given to me. And I, I think that actually just makes for... Much more interesting literature, much more interesting narrative. though. And and this is where, in some ways, it's almost hard to read Augustine from modernity. Because, as you said, we've kind of inherited this this assumption that the world is what's in our heads and what we make of it. Whereas, Mm -hmm. interestingly for Augustine, even when Augustine turns inward and he starts trying to plumb the depths of his own conscience consciousness um augustine's or he he uses this metaphor of a cave and he says when when you turn me into myself and i start trying to plumb the depths of my own soul it's like i reach this cavern whose bottom i can never sound Mm. and there's almost a kind of infinity within me and then you hear the echoes of god reverberating from the bottom of it so even for augustine interiority is so different than modern interiority you know it's it's it has an infinity about it because it's the soul that's made in god's image and and i do think um uh, so i'm a huge fan of you know 19th century french literature and in many ways i still think they understood that i think uh, um uh, Flaubert understood, despite all his m- sort of proto modernism, I think he understood that we are always more than we could make of ourselves, and and trying to grapple with that mystery. Uh, um, I think mystery is a bit of a lost category for us in modernity.
0: What do you mean when you say that?
1: That that there is there is a sense in which there's an elusiveness. Um, we, we elude ourselves, which is precisely why you want to trust the one who made you to tell you your own story, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? That, that there's, there's, I, I don't trust the story I would tell about myself because I'm, I don't have confidence that I know who I am. Yeah. Um, and yet, if I surrender myself to the one who made me and knows me, um, in a sense i'm receiving the gift of a story that helps me narrate my own identity and um that's perplexing I, mean, I unfortunately i think what happens in modernity at an age where we think we know everything is mystery just has a negative connotation mm-hmm. like what, what we're saying is the mystery is something that has to be solved it's oh there's a puzzle and we're going to figure it out whereas this historic you know Even the St. Paul sense of mystery in the book of Ephesians or or what Augustine means by mystery or the medievals is mystery is this plenitude, this fullness, this overflowing so that when you've waded into a mystery, it's not that you're puzzled. It's that you're sort of overwhelmed by possibility, Um, but it requires a lot of trust. Like you have to know who you're trusting in that context. I'm not sure if that help is very helpful for writers, but uh, um, I do think it gets at something more true about the human condition than imagining that we could figure ourselves out.
0: Well, I think it's one reason it's helpful for writers is um, that it frees, it, it opens up some possibility. I mean, okay, if if you've, I know there aren't many Christian bookstores left, but but when you go through a Christian bookstore, you realize the extent to which. Evangelicalism has bought into that that modernist demystification. Yes, you know it's we're going to you know here's seven steps to this and five easy ways to what we're going to solve this problem rather than wading into a mystery and saying I this the the universe is too much for me and God is too much for me but but here we go we're going to try this
1: yes yes yeah no I agree we we often don't appreciate the depths to which. Uh, modern Protestantism sort of drank the modernist Kool Aid in that regard, oh, and yeah. it, it's 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 one of the reasons why I actually think one of the best sort of imagination stretching exercises for Christian artists is to immerse themselves in ancient and medieval wisdom and traditions because it's just it, it's pre modern and so they yeah. haven't they they don't they've never fallen into the trap of imagining that we're thinking things,
0: yeah. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been reading uh, a lot of, well, I, I say Aquinas, really Joseph p Yeah, I mean, you know, g- getting my Aquinas through Joseph. He's a good Pieper. guide. He's a reliable oh, guy, man. And yeah. that, this just rocking my world. I mean, this 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 business of, um, you know, conforming yourself to again, uh, we've, I've, we've used this phrase already, to a reality that we didn't make. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, I, I just mm-hmm. think that is so helpful for a writer, and I think it's freeing for a writer to say. You know, what Edmund Spencer, you know, says, fools said my muse, me look in thy heart and write." But you know, when I look in my heart and try to write, I don't know what to say. But, yes, but when I look yes. out at the world, I say, "Okay, I can do that." Yeah. I, yeah. I can, I can, I can give an account of what I've seen, um, and it's such a relief yeah. to get out of my head and instead yes. write about, well, Florida or whatever. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting to then also imagine your reader. And make room for her to dwell in mystery, right? So, so the other, another temptation for us is to be sort of overly expositional and to uh-huh. to make it all work for our reader and to to solve it. Whereas, um, it's funny, I, I had this experience. I mean. I'm a philosopher, I'm an academic, so I'm still very much learning how to write. And uh-huh. in this book, the writing On the Road with St. Augustine was a new experience for me, because I, I knew I wanted to move into a kind of writing that was more narrative and literary. And one of the things I realized I had to learn is I had to actually say less, and I had to make make room for the reader to, to have an encounter, but to then not program exactly how every reader was going to respond to that encounter Uh and there was a certain almost a a discipline of a kind of minimalism of um not wanting to explain it all and then once i think I, i i'm not saying i accomplished it but i think once i understood how that works i then thought of novels memoirs uh, um biographies that i value and realize oh yes they gave me room as a reader to do some of my own imaginative work in in that encounter so in other words they left room for mystery too they didn't yeah. they didn't feel like they had to tie up all the uh loose ends
0: yeah yeah um i want to return to something you said a minute ago that you kind of just breezed past but i th- i thought it was really important um and that is the idea of a um a story – well, actually, I'm just going to – it reminded me of something from, from your new book that you, you were quoting Leslie Jameson mm, when mm. she was talking about the idea of, of addiction stories in recovery communities, um, the ways in which uh, people find their identity in these stories. And the value of those stories was that they are unoriginal <laughs> you know, yes, and yes. As writers, we so value originality because originality is, is makes me seem smart. But some, but can you talk about this idea that 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 unoriginal stories are really valuable for people?
1: Yeah. So this this is from um, Leslie Jameson's book, The Recovering, which is kind of a memoir of her own recovery, but then also. A, a foray into the literature of recovery, and one of the things she struggled with as a writer and as a novelist, short story writer, was yeah, the burden is to always tell a story that no one's ever heard before. Otherwise, you know, who's going to publish it? But then, and then she would go to an AA meeting, and so much of an AA meeting was just people trading stories back and forth. But it was always kind of the same story, you know, like it was, <laughs> yeah. a, it was a very defined arc. And and she had this sort of epiphany where she realized, oh, 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 wait. Stories can do different things. These are stories um, that aren't supposed to be original. They're supposed to be stories we give one another so that I can actually sort of put it on and say, This fits me. Yeah. And now I know who I am, right? Like that's like somebody, somebody gives their testimony, as it were, tells their story in an AA meeting, and somebody who is there for the first time can say, That's me. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's me. And all of a sudden, now they have insight into who they are because they've they've received a story that helps them make sense of who they are. It's it's given them an identity. Yeah. And and I think our culture has you know we we live with such a cult of novelty and uniqueness and quote unquote authenticity that everybody thinks they are the special you know, one of a kind. And I don't want to discount that that there is a way in which that's true. But on the other hand, it is an absolute burden to imagine that you would have to invent your utterly unique story. Whereas maybe actually finding rest from anxiety is somebody giving you a story and saying, oh, that's me. Yeah, 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 that's me. I mean, I I just think of that as um, that's not being unoriginal. That's being found, <laughs> yeah, uh, which is a very different way to construe it.
0: Yes, you know, I, I was I was talking uh, back at uh, around Valentine's Day. I did a little webinar on writing better love letters.
1: <laughs> mm, and, nice. Yeah. I should probably sign up for this. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I'll, I'll, here, I'll, I'll give you this for free, Jamie. This is just for <laughs> this is just free. Uh, the um, um, to write about your feelings when, when you're feeling something, you think that's. Unique you think you think my mm-hmm. feelings are really unique. Um, the truth is your feelings are, are what's not unique. everybody the, the way you feel about your wife there are lots of people who feel that about their wives. Mm-hmm. What is unique mm-hmm. is the particular the concrete um, you know, the, the things that happened um, the things that you and your wife have, have shared and have done together mm-hmm. that's, that's unique and as mm-hmm. you tell that story, that generates that same emotion that we all have felt for, for somebody. And I, I, think something similar is going on in those AA stories. I mean, the, you, the details I'm sure change from story to story, but that underlying, um, not just the feelings, but the, the dynamics under, under those details. Yeah. So yeah. as, as you, as you tell those details, um, it doesn't matter that those details are different for other people. You're evoking yes. this this common story
1: yeah, I think I think that's really insightful. you know D- David Foster Wallace also had a, a number of interesting reflections on cliche, so, which is, of course, something every writer wants to avoid is being yeah. cliche and and we get exhausted by it. it's like oh really on the other hand, he says, and this also comes from his own experience in recovery context was. On the other hand, sometimes cliches work precisely because they're true. It's just that people have said them over and over and over again so many times. So I love what you're saying, that in a way, the unique intersection, though, is when this received story, even the cliché, intersects with your history and your particular contingent uh, um, legacy of life together or whatever Mm -hmm. it might be. And and at that point, what's beautiful is... um, Not that I'm saying something to my wife that I've never that no one else has ever said before, but that I'm taking the time and sometimes the courage and and to say it now, here, despite everything, right? That there's there's always a triumph of history in that.
0: (laughs) That's great. I I love the one sentence I love from, from your book, you said identity is our name for being found by a story someone else told.
1: Mm. Oh, uh, I'm glad you like that. Yeah, oh, that's, man, that's that's a very insight. much a lesson I learned from Leslie Jameson too, and and I think it's what Augustine. You know, Augustine was such. I mean, he he was just one of these people that you almost would have loved to hate because he was just brilliant and popular, and you know all <laughs> all these kinds of things. And yet, he spent a lifetime sort of not knowing who he was. I mean, that's his constant refrain, is, I don't know who I am, I'm a mystery to myself, I'm an enigma to myself. And it's not until, uh, you know, he picks up Paul's epistle to the Romans, and and he reads this story again, and he realizes, that's me, mm-hmm. that's me. And then he sort of knows who he is, and, and it's a gift to to receive such a story.
0: Yeah. And that's yes, that's the gift that storytellers are giving to the world, or one of the gifts. And,
1: yeah, and it strikes me, by the way, too, because you, you, and you'll know this more than others, but um, the the trick isn't to tell a generic story, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think generic stories, vags, or have no purchase on us whatsoever because they, they don't feel like, we don't feel like we know anyone. So what Augustine does is he tells the very thick specificity of his own story. Yes. Hoping that somebody might read that and say, oh, well, this is about a very particular guy at a very particular time in a very particular place. And yet there is something universally human about it so that somebody could say, that's me. Yeah. And and it's and the 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 recognition happens because of the specificity of the story.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Flannery O'Connor said one country has to do for all countries. You know, in in your writing, yes. you, you've got to that's delve good. into this one country. The only way you get to the universal is through the specific.
1: Yes, yes, yeah. Which is which is a very incarnational idea, too. It is, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Could you say one more sentence about that? When you say that's an well, incarnational Well, just, just in a
1: sense, you know, we, we sometimes talk about the incarnation of God in Christ is is sometimes described as a scandal of particular. Right. Like how how could the creator of the cosmos sort of channel himself <laughs> not, <laughs> become not channeled, but become this first century Jew in Palestine? You know, like, isn't that exclusive? And yet it's precisely because he came in the thick specificity of this person at this time. Um, that then it actually creates the possibility of every human being finding themselves in his image, right? To, that, that the image of the invisible God could become the mirror in which we say, that's me. And um, it couldn't have been any other way. There couldn't have been some, it couldn't have been some vague force that manifests itself. We would never recognize it. We need this the mirror of specificity to be able to see ourselves.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's great. Okay, Jamie, I always end every episode of The Habit by asking this question. I I didn't give you any heads up, so sorry. But the question is, what writers make you want to write?
1: (laughs) Yeah, which which are, interestingly, are often the writers who also make you say, oh my gosh, I can't write a word. (laughs) Um, So, um, Flaubert, I I will say Flaubert uh, is – a sort of touch point for me. And then um, I'm terrible at answering these questions because I always remember what I just read. Sure, yeah, <laughs> but oh, I'll, I'll say, I mentioned, I think earlier, but Garth Greenwell is a writer at um, University of Iowa who, um, I, I just finished his book, you, What Belongs to You, and he's got a new one coming out in January. And it's, it's an experience of reading prose that is so luminous and yet invisible because it takes you right into the mind of another person. I I just... It was very uh, inspiring to me. Um, And then I should give you a poet because poetry is really important to me. And I would say um, Franz Wright. The poet Franz Wright has been a touchstone Hmm. who just makes sort of language and diction come alive for me uh, in ways that others have not. But that is... I feel like I, I picked just I tried to pick amongst my children and saying that sure, yeah,
0: uh, could you go back to Flaubert what What is it about Flaubert that makes you uh, yeah,
1: any? Flaubert is I think in, in many ways, I see a parallel between Flaubert and Augustine. Flaubert is such a remarkable psychologist, so i I see him as somebody who is has this incredible power of describing. Emotion and how emotion then is the way we interpret and perceive the world, and um, but but he also he also creates character and worlds um, that are so evocative. Mm-hmm. I, I guess what I love about Flaubert is he's sort of slow motion. You know, it, huh. it, you slow the world down, and over fifteen pages, actually, nothing has happened. But you've <laughs> you've you've journeyed a million mile in someone's consciousness, and I just find that quite delightful. Yeah great well Jamie
0: thank you so much this has been a lot of fun
1: this has been great fun we could have talked forever
0: we should I, do it I again sometime I think we could yeah let's, let's do um, great alright thank you thanks
1: Jonathan
2: The Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio and the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. Special shout-out as well to the Arcadian Wild for allowing us to use their delightful song, Finch in the Pantry, as part of this podcast. Check out their album of the same name for more excellent music.
0: The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at
2: thehabit.co. This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to fostering Christ-centered community and spiritual formation through music, story, and art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com donate.